Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish, Joe Pizzapia, as we are here on the final Monday in June. SportsGrid.com. Of course, follow us on Twitter at Craig Mish, at Joe Pizzapia 17 and of course, at SportsGrid. That's how you find us here on the show. we got a lot of baseball to get to here on the program. Of course, we have the announcement of the 60-man player pools for every Major League Baseball team. But wouldn't you know, Joe, late yesterday, baseball got uh, trumped a little bit by uh, a different story of which Cam Newton ends up signing a one-year incentive-laden deal with the New England Patriots. And so the Patriots, certainly, we uh, thought they had every intention of going into the season with Jared Stidham, and they abruptly uh, changed course. And really not a lot of risk involved here, it sounds like, with Cam Newton with uh, incentives with his contract. Uh, What are your first thoughts here on uh, Newton in a Patriots uniform in 2020? There's a lot to process here, and I haven't had too much time to process it as a Patriots fan. It's weird because he is, as most people who listen to my shows or follow me on Twitter, possibly my least favorite NFL player is now the quarterback of my team. I never thought the antics of Cam Newton would ever find its way into the locker room of the New England Patriots. The fashionista is here, and uh, I have mixed emotions about it. I love a one-year deal of any player with enormous talent. It's not every day you get in a former MVP, a guy who could take a team to a Super Bowl, on a one-year incentive-laden deal. So from a football standpoint, I mean, this is what the Patriots do, right? They make deals that make sense. And this is a deal where they have no repercussions. It doesn't work out? Okay, no worry about it. If uh, it does... Look, we're geniuses, and maybe you stick around, and we go to the Super Bowl. I mean, this is classic Patriots, right? Bill Belichick always doing what nobody thinks he's going to do, and now it's going to change the potential of what we see the Patriots looking forward to in the AFC East. Uh, This is also why Craig Mish always warns you boys and girls out there, don't place your bets too early on things, because you don't know what's going to happen, so don't just sit around and be bored and put money on things where you don't have all the information And look, we'll see what happens as we get into August and how well Cam Newton plays. Uh, We know he's in very good shape. We've seen all the workout videos. The question is, what shape is this in? That's my always big question with Cam Newton. If he is focused, there's hardly anybody as good as him. But the problem with Cam Newton sometimes is at the end of a press conference, you can't tell if he won the game or lost the game because he just seems morose about everything most of the time. We'll see what happens there. Uh, I think this is a, a great deal, again, for the Patriots in terms of Return on investment, it's a great deal for the Patriots in terms of no commitment, one-year deal. It's just now what is the identity of this team? Because you go from Tom Brady, the ultimate team guy, to Cam Newton, the ultimate me guy, and that is a huge, huge difference in swing and personalities, Craig. Yeah, well, certainly uh, the way that the sports books uh, view Cam Newton is at least a half a win. Uh, New England's win total at FanDuel now is nine and the uh, the over is minus 120, so this could get to certainly nine and a half. And again, people are going to overreact very quickly to something like this. You uh, sort of have to be patient and let the market set itself and then decide where to go. Uh, certainly, this is somewhat of an indictment on Jared Stidham. It, it has to be, because the last thing that you want is somebody looking over your shoulder. If you're trying to give a young guy an opportunity, but make no mistake about it, there's now a competition for the starting quarterback job in New England. And in the end, I find it hard to believe that Cam Newton would take a backseat to uh, Stidham in this case. But look, stranger things have happened. Newton has to be healthy, and we'll have to prove it before the 2020 season. A lot of players in baseball have to prove their worth right now, Joe. The 60-man rosters were essentially announced yesterday, and I believe that there'll be a lot of changes to this before we start, certainly with COVID happening. And teams also have to determine who will be on taxi squads and minor league rosters, essentially the way that this is working. These teams are taking about half their squad to their major league sites around the country and then finding a minor league facility close by where they can have their minor league players play. Because, again, they're going to need multiple players. And, Joe, they're going to need 30 players Mm -hmm. to start the major league season. And the way it sort of felt like yesterday was almost as if, yeah, we got a lot of the players that we thought that would make it. It was almost kind of like looking for the snubs, sort of like all-star snubs and Pro Bowl snubs. It was sort of looking for the players who didn't potentially uh, make their teams yesterday. What were your thoughts on that? 
Well, look, I think the teams that have the better depth are going to be uh, a cut above in this 2020 Major League Baseball season because we don't know how often you have to call upon that depth. That's the that's the main thing right there. And for me, you know, there's certain organizations that are already turning the page to 2021. They weren't going to be competitive in 2020, so it's no surprise certain guys have been off some of these lists. And look, nobody wants to start a service clock on a guy where a team you know you're not going to compete this year. So why would you even bother doing that? It's one of the crazy things about the Mariners, where, again, I just keep saying, yeah, well, I'll believe it when I see it, when I see Jared Galenic up there and Rodriguez and those guys. I'm just not buying it. But I think what you're looking at is there will be some guys, the youthful guys like Spencer Howard, I think is going to make a contribution this year. I think you're going to see Michael Kopech make a contribution this year. So, uh, again, the names being on these lists uh, are important. And I think you have to look team specifically, which teams have the chance to be competitive because the ones that are, I think will push the envelope because that injection of youth over a shorter period of time where other teams can't figure them out. Other guys can't get a, a beat on them or, or get too much exposure to the league. That is a huge advantage when a player comes up and can do that. We've seen it before, but there's usually a fallout. I'll uh, like an Austin Riley last year who came on a house of fire last year and then got figured out, got exposed a little bit. Wasn't quite as good, but I believe that kind of player with his skill level will make adjustments. 60 games, though. There's no time for the league to adjust to somebody. If they're coming up and rocking, it's just going to be a rocking 60 games for them, most likely. Yeah, the players, uh, most interesting player, maybe Ryan Mountcastle, the top prospect from the Orioles, wasn't put on their 60-man list. Now, again, uh, things can be adjusted between now and opening day, but that was a name that I think that people had some expectations for maybe going into the season, playing late in the season now. It doesn't look like he may play at all. And then uh, Aquino on Cincinnati, who had that great run last year, he essentially was assigned to minor league camp, now nah. major league camp. And, uh, you know, Joe, he'll be up against it trying to make the roster. I mean, I, I think it's always better to start with the big league roster than it is to be in the minors. And so uh, the two-month run that Aquino had last year, which was epic, I, I suppose the Reds aren't seeing – uh, that at least for the time being. But again, 30 guys to start the season. Aquino still has a good shot of making it. Well, Aquino was a little surprising, especially when you factor in the DH possibility as well. You'd have thought that guy kind of might fit right into that role because the best defensive outfield you could have would probably be Senzel, Akiyama, and Winker, and maybe Castellanos DHing or moving around the diamond there potentially. So they've got options there in Cincinnati. But Aquino, if you go back and look at the minor league track record, it wasn't really that hot until. He kind of caught lightning in a bottle for that period of time last year. And there's a perfect example of a guy who was great for a period of time, got figured out a little bit. And the next thing you know, all of a sudden the bloom is off the rose. Now, I think Aquino will play more games than people realize. I think this might be a procedural thing. Or as you and I were talking off air about, maybe they're trying to send this guy a message. Maybe he wasn't in the right shape when he came back into camp or who knows. There's a, so many things that we don't know that go behind the scenes. And that's why we have Craig Mish to tell us those things that go on behind the scenes. Damn it. He's the guy behind the curtain. He is the all powerful wizard of Oz or at least wizard of Miami, I believe. Uh, Oz is a bit far from me. It's about 45 miles to the uh, <laughs> um, As far as players that did not make it at all, uh, a couple of players from our fantasy past were essentially set off the pasture. Uh, Carlos Gonzalez of the Seattle Mariners, who, uh, I mean, look, I mean, his career OBP is 34%, and that's with the dreadful last few years that he's had just trying to make it. Uh, unfortunately, his skills just completely deteriorated over the last couple of years and had problems even making any team. I don't know if it was just going from altitude to not, but uh, Carlos Gonzalez's career with Seattle is over and maybe his career in general is over. And uh, the short-lived career of, of uh, Matt Kemp, once upon a time, uh, you know, probably was the MVP of the National League, a three-time All-Star, and as, and as early as two years ago was an All-Star for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, Miami just didn't like what they were seeing with him in camp. And again, that's got to be a pretty serious indictment, Joe, considering, again, you're adding a designated hitter to the National League. So we say farewell, at least for the time being, to Carlos Gonzalez and Matt Kemp. Yeah, well, look, Matt Kemp, I think we had all seen kind of was towards the end here. Uh, and he had a very good career. Cargo had some great moments in that career, but one can't help but wonder what might have been. I never thought he was the same player after that wrist injury specifically. That was the one to me that he never quite bounced back from. And he had some other injuries as well with the legs. But this was a this was a guy with the five tools. You don't see it very often. There were some knocks on him when you go look at the splits in Colorado and on the road. But we've seen that with a lot of Colorado guys in the past. But when you look back on it, this was a guy that was a second round kind of a pick in fantasy drafts. And unfortunately... Yeah. We faded and faded and faded with him until now he's faded into oblivion, which is is sad because you don't want to see careers kind of end like that. You like to see a guy go out 
maybe on their own terms. These are kind of weird terms to be going out on, but not everybody gets that kind of situation in professional sports. Uh, Matt Kemp, on the other hand, I think, you know, had a very good career. That one shining season with the Dodgers, he had a first round caliber talent year. The rest of the years were all, I would say, good to very good. But I think a lot of people were always chasing that one huge year with Kemp. And he never quite lived up to that. But he was a very solid RBI guy for many years. Uh, good with the Padres as well. Let's not forget about those days for him as well. Uh, but the cargo one, man, that is definitely one of those what-if scenarios we can go back and ask ourselves. Because there was a window there where he was one of the well, top 10 talents in baseball. But unfortunately, longevity was not his friend. No. And uh, good news if you had a early draft in fantasy and you were counting on Dylan Carlson. I don't think that this is a big surprise, but he did make the 60 man player pool. And so Joe, now we'll just have to see how he does over the next month or so. And there's, you know, a chance I would say at this point that Carlson could put himself into the Cardinals opening day lineup. Mm -hmm. And that is one particular player that we'll really have to keep a close eye on because for those people who are doing fantasy baseball drafts or even redrafting, this is the one guy that if I told you, hey, Dylan Carlson batting sixth opening <laughs> right. day for the Cardinals, his ADP would rise rounds. That's and it should. And it should. And if you are redrafting like a smart person would do, then you should be looking at this Dylan Carlson scenario because the Cardinals are another team where the DH is going to matter here. Uh, you still got Fowler out there. You still got Bader. You still got a couple other guys out there that you can shuffle around. And Carlson's one of these talents. I think he's a higher tier talent potentially than some of the other guys that we've gone through in this system of late in the last decade. We've gotten the Grichicks and the Piscottis and guys who were good and then kind of moved on from and never quite lived up to the hype. But I think the hype and the expectation for Carlson is a little higher, correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, it's going to be exciting to see him play. And once again, we're talking about a shorter season, right? So if he gets off to a good start, there's a better chance of him maintaining it and really helping out those Cardinals. And Wander Franco is the guy for me. That's the dude I want to see. Willie Adams is a nice player, but Wander Franco is a difference maker. He's a Lindor-type talent, and I think if the Rays get off to a good start, you're going to see him sooner than later. I was drafting him in a lot of leagues before in February and March, and I would be drafting him right now even more so. Maybe even more vigorously would I be drafting him because I think there's a real opportunity for the Rays in this shortened season. The way they manage game to game, this sort of format really favors a team that is hypersensitive and hyper-focused at bat to at bat, game to game, pitcher to pitcher, moment to moment, because every moment's going to count for a little bit more. And adding young talent like Franco to that roster could be a huge game changer. All right. Well, we got a lot to get to here on the show. More baseball, more football for everything going on with the New England Patriots, not just uh, the Cam Newton signing, but of course, uh, as reported last night, too, with them losing their draft pick next year in the 2021 draft and their fine. Make sure you stay tuned all day long to SportsGrid. We'll be talking about it right here. Scott Farrell coming up a little bit later, uh, coast to coast. I'm sure he'll be talking about it as well as Gabe Morency. Uh, big football news on the New England side. Big baseball news as well. And we'll have all of that when we return. Next, we hit on this day in fantasy sports and our fantasy sports birthdays when our Monday edition of FST on SportsGrid continues right after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back with all the big news in baseball. Of course, we've got a lot of players that are going to be playing, and they have qualified for the team's 60-man roster. We'll update this throughout the show. And uh, as we start hearing about updated rosters throughout the week, players who are in, players who are out, we'll have all that for you. We're going to have fantasy previews of every team as we get closer to the report date on Friday. And, of course, We'll cover it from a fantasy angle, betting angle, everything that you could possibly ask for here. We'll continue that on Fantasy Sports today. But for now, we kick off this day in Fantasy Sports birthdays and also this day in Fantasy Sports, Joe, for this June 29th, 2020. Only two days left here in June. We're about to close it out. We are. We're going to finish strong, though, because that's what we do here on the program. I also think we've missed a huge opportunity. We should have gotten Hallmark involved in sponsoring this segment. I mean, we've done all these birthday cards for all these people and it just seems like we really missed the boat. Like, they should have been sponsoring this. We could have made an extra coin, you and me, on the side. 
but I guess hindsight's 2020. I guess it's, you know, 2020 after all, so anything goes. But uh, maybe in the future, if there's another pandemic, I suggest we getting some sort of sponsor to tie into the birthdays. That's that's all I'm saying. Maybe a cake company, maybe Carvel. Dairy Queen, I don't know, Carvel, something like that. Duh, by, for the record, the Dairy Queen cake, far superior to the Carvel ice cream cake. I just okay. want to point that out there. In my opinion, my opinions are my own, not that of Sports Grid. All right. Well, you're uh, a connoisseur of cakes. We'll uh, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> I am indeed, my friend. <laughs> All right, so uh, let, let's go uh, move on to this day in fantasy sports history for June 29th. We start off in 1984, Oral Hershiser. This is really amazing. I didn't even know that this was a thing, but Oral Hershiser made his first start ever in 1984, and every single time through the rotation, continued to do it all the way through 1990. This was the first of that. Uh, I got to tell you, Joe, this is a pretty significant accomplishment. I'm glad that I found this on this day in fantasy sports history because I had no idea it happened, and it's something that'll never happen again in Major League Baseball. No, probably not. This is an incredible nugget. And Hershiser was always a very good pitcher, and we always thought of him as very consistent. We all remember, obviously, 1988, that incredible scoreless inning streak, breaking Don Drysdale's previous record, former Dodger as well. And we think of that incredible run that year, and overall, Oral Hershiser as a, as a very good pitcher, but he was really dominant for basically a year, maybe two, you go kind of put that out there. However, we forget he did have a, a long career, did uh, help some other teams there, like the Cleveland Indians uh, in the mid-90s, and he was that bulldog mentality, right? I mean, that's what Tommy Lasorda called him, the bulldog, and uh, he was tough as nails, and he was all, oh, gee whiz and shucks and things like that. But when he got on the mound, he was all business. And uh, it's funny, we we kind of, I don't know, we forget a little bit about Oral Hershiser. Oh, I know Dodger good. fans don't, but I think on the on the meta grand scale of baseball, we kind of do sometimes, and we shouldn't. Yeah, no, he was a really good pitcher and, and had that uh, consecutive uh, scoreless streak as well. It definitely goes down in history. Um, and, and, and pitch on the Indians in the World Series as well. He was like their best mm -hmm. starter in 1997. Yep. All right, 1990, this was a day that everybody remembers. Fernando Valenzuela, Dave Stewart, both throw no-hitters, one in the American League, one in the National League. And that's uh, never been done, Joe, and it probably will never get done ever again as well. I mean, I don't, I don't think no-hitters are all that unusual now just because teams swing and miss so much. But when this happened, and it happened both on television on the night that it happened, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, yesterday on Diamond Bets, this was actually Matt Stryker's favorite no-hitter memory. We were talking through some of those to close out our three-strike segment on the network here. And uh, he was talking about watching the end of one and then flipping over and seeing all the coverage of the other one on SportsCenter and them having the kind of cut-ins live at the time before there was an MLB network and you could do, like, other things that you weren't able to always do nowadays. Uh, but this is an incredible thing. In 1990 was the year of the no-hitter. So many no-hitters that year. I think it was the record. I believe I'm almost positive it was. Uh, but Valenzuela, another one of these guys, along with Oral Hershiser, you know, like Fernando kind of took them in from the uh, the early 80s on, and then Oral kind of from the late 80s through. And, uh, you know, it's one thing the Dodgers have always had. They've been one of those organizations you can look back and whether you go all the way back to the Don Nukem years, all the way through Koufax and Drysdale to Valenzuela. There was always, like, great pitching, I feel like, in the Dodger organization, and obviously Kershaw now, and maybe Walker Buehler will be the next one. You know, we'll find out as the season gets ready to open up. Uh, 1992, the NHL uh, ruled that the Philadelphia Flyers would get to acquire Eric Lindros uh, from the Quebec Nordiques, not the uh, New York Rangers, of course, uh, this was a very controversial deal back in 92. Lindros was uh, a long line of a history of players who decided they were the first overall pick and didn't want to play with their team. Mm -hmm. uh, Lindros essentially went to Philadelphia. The NHL, what happened was they found out that uh, Quebec was acting a little bit underhanded. They had made deals with both teams, the Rangers and the Flyers. Uh, and initially, the Flyers made an offer and the Rangers beat it. So they tried to send him to New York instead. Uh, the Flyers then upped the ante, apparently, and uh, inevitably the NHL decided that they were getting the better deal uh, from the Flyers, and they didn't want to see Quebec disappear from NHL existence, which ended up happening anyway. Uh, <laughs> but regardless of that, it was the NHL trying to do right to uh, Quebec, even though they were acting a little strange. Lindros went to Philadelphia, 
was a really good player for them for a long time. And as we've talked about previously on other shows, a very controversial player. I think for this, more or less. Yeah, I mean, Lindros would have been a fascinating character in these times with Twitter and things like that because he was such a personality and a polarizing one at that sometimes. I can't imagine the social media fun we would have had with Eric Lindros. But this was also a time in the 90s, Craig, when I think you look back and players who were at the top of their game, quote unquote, started to have a lot more influence or trying to at least of where they wanted to play. I can't remember J.D. Drew in that span too, in the nineties of saying, no, I'm, I'm going to play here where I want to play. I don't want to play for this team. And, you know, you kind of see that happen in the NFL too, with the Mannings and it just, you know, sort of cycled and it sort of changed. I think sports as you got into the nineties and early two thousands, where the top players kind of forced their hands. And what's the point of a draft if the team at the top doesn't get to pick the player they yeah. want at the end of the day. And I, I guess that's a philosophical question. How do you feel about that? Do you think that a player who is great, and Young should, you know, in the American way, get to go and play wherever he wants? Or do you think that the draft is the draft for a reason and these are the rules of the game and you should abide by them as a player, even if it's an organization or a location you don't want to play in? Yeah, what, what's happened in recent history is it's become so prestigious in the leagues. It's been it's become more important to be the first pick in the draft than it is to where you go. And that's changed. And that's why players are not forcing the hands anymore. It's changed probably in the last decade or so. Uh, they realize the most money is associated with the number one overall pick at the time, especially uh, in the NFL. You could pay as much money as you wanted to a player who was first, second, third. Uh, Sam Bradford was the last one with that. Now it's slotted. It's also slotted in the NBA as well. So players want to be the number one overall no matter what. And, and they basically are not asking out anymore because they understand that there's a lot of prestige with it and it's the most money. So uh, days of Lindros and Eli Manning and um, and other player and Bo Jackson and other players who have asked out. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. I think that the worst team is going to get the best player, which is the way it should be. And and it's good that the league's changed that for that. Uh, 1994, Glenn Robinson, first overall pick in the NBA draft by the Milwaukee Bucks. I thought Glenn Robinson was going to end up being a Hall of Famer. He was certainly a really good player, an All Star for a long time with Milwaukee, but didn't have that kind of career. And then in 2012, Aaron Hill did something. And, and put together a fantasy first half of the ages, really. Uh, Aaron Hill, great player at LSU, uh, goes on to Major League Baseball, plays with the Blue Jays, then somehow goes to Arizona, and in 2012 hits for the cycle twice in one season. Like, I, I mean, to triple yeah. twice, let alone hit for the cycle twice, Joe, was incredible. But I do remember Aaron Hill having a first half of the ages here. I do, too. And there's a name that I haven't thought of in many, many years. And it's one of those great fantasy baseball names or he was that guy. You could just kind of plug in your lineup there and you're like, oh, Aaron Hill, he's OK. He'll get the job done. Serviceable fantasy infielder. OK, let's move on to the next pick and the next pick. But it's just amazing how sometimes you, you see these names and you go, oh, my gosh, wow, there's a name I haven't thought of in a while. And, you know, just the volume of baseball just turns over so much that uh, unfortunately some guys get lost in the shuffle. But this accomplishment should not. I mean, it's quirky. It's a weird accomplishment. But still, I, I think you got to look back on it and say that's a pretty impressive thing. And, you know, for any major leaguer to sit back and say, hey, I hate for the cycle. And I did it twice. And I did it in the same season. That's that's pretty cool where I come from. Yeah. And, uh, and it had one of the biggest hits in college baseball history. Also, that's right. SU. All right. This day in fantasy sports birthdays on June 29th. We'll start off with a Hall of Famer in the NFL and a broadcaster for a long time. Dan Deardorff, born in 1949, uh, 1956, we have the effervescent Pedro Guerrero, longtime member of the Los Angeles Dodgers and then St. Louis Cardinals and lived in South Florida for uh, many years. Um, hopefully he's in good health. I haven't heard much from Pedro Guerrero in the last uh, few years. Uh, 1980, great NASCAR driver Martin Truex Jr. 1991, Kawhi Leonard. Hopefully he celebrates his birthday today and doesn't use it as a uh, day of maintenance. And 1995, uh, Nick Senzel was born. Looking forward to seeing Nick Senzel play. The Reds are a little bit dicey as far as who's going to play what. But, you know, certainly all of their prospects and all of their top kids ended up making the 60-man roster. So uh, Reds will have a fun discussion. So, uh, Joe, when you look at this list here, clearly uh, we have two Hall of Famers here, one in Dan Dierdorf, another one, a future Hall of Famer in Kawhi Leonard. But as you can tell with me being a little cynical, I'm a big Kawhi Leonard fan. I think he is the best player, if not the second best player in the NBA. I don't mind all the stuff that he did in the offseason, deciding where he was going to go, because, uh, you know, all players deserve to be courted. And he ended up picking the Clippers. The Clippers are one of the teams with a really good shot to win the championship. I do not like uh, the, the day of maintenance. That I do not like in the NBA, and particularly with the best players in the NBA. I mean, I understand at this stage of LeBron James's career, it has to happen. 
And sure. when, when you're at that stage where you're toward the end, fine. But the one thing that I've never liked is the opposing fans not being able to see the stars when they come to town. It bothered me tremendously. I get it. It's it's about winning, and it's not about uh, pleasing the opponents. But for me, when I buy a ticket to see a team in the regular season, this is not spring mm -hmm, training. Right. In the regular season, I expect to see that player play unless he is hurt. And uh, you know, Spurs for many years didn't see it that way, and now he goes to the Clippers, and it's more or less the same. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's not cheap to go to those games either. An NBA ticket is not a cheap thing. Uh, very difficult. And the NBA fines the teams, and and look, and I and I and they understand that they're going to pay a fine for doing it. They're willing to do it. My suggestion to the NBA is, since they're still willing to sit their players on the maintenance days, I would raise that fine. It's time to get it a little bit higher. It's tough. I mean, there's there's no good way around it. I guess raising the fines would make sense. Uh, and that's where uh, you have to start. I think. I, think I mean, so. I don't know if that's going to work, but I think that's where you have to start. I I just and and look, I don't think that any NBA look. The NBA is a grind, and you want to. And and for the Clippers' point of view, they're giving uh, Kawhi billion dollars, and you want to make sure that you got him for the next ten years. I get all that, and so eighty-two games is a lot. And so give me 70 games of Kawhi Leonard, you know, like, okay, like, uh, you know, take 12 days off, you know, uh, you, they play the, you know, the Lakers a couple times, give them one of those days off. They're on the West coast. They play the Nuggets twice. Give them one right. of those days off. But I'm sorry when he goes to play on that East coast circuit and he comes to Florida and they play the Hawks, the magic and the heat, you know, three games and five nights, got to play all three games. I mean, that's it. I mean, it's the at least some minutes, man. Wants, you know? At least some minutes. Taking the entire game off, I think, is it's craziness. But this is the NBA now. And this is this is part of the identity crisis that they, you know, have. And uh, they'll continue to work through. Yeah, well, I mean, I hope so. We'll be back with more fantasy sports today after this. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid. And welcome back. It's Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Bish, Joe Pizzapia. Make sure you check out our YouTube channel, both on the TV side and radio side. You may say, what about radio? Well, did you know that Scott Farrell is on SB Nation Radio every single day? You can catch him there, as well as our YouTube channel, which is Sports Grid Radio. We got Bagels and Bad Beats with Scott Wetzel. We have Coast to Coast with Scott Farrell, in-game live with Gabe Morency, and a whole lot more. So please make sure you head on over there and check out our YouTube channel. And if you're watching the show over on sportsgrid.com and you're like, well, why would I go to YouTube? Well, because we have all of our stuff on demand. And most importantly, if you like and subscribe to our show, guess what? It gets sent to you automatically, whether you're on an Android phone or an iPhone or even on your iPad. Most importantly, set your phone to notifications on. And then when our shows get populated online... You'll know as soon as the shows are done. All right. Uh, baseball is coming back yesterday. All of the rosters were released. If you want to go back and watch some of that content that we discussed, just hit rewind if you're watching on demand. If you're watching live, that's a good way to head over to our YouTube channel like I just discussed. Uh, Joe, the 60-game schedule certainly is out. It's really interesting because I've, I hear uh, basically narratives being painted for every single team in Major League Baseball to have an advantage with 60 games. I, I can't even find a team that, uh, with a writer or an analyst that have said, no, <laughs> this team is in big trouble because of the 60-game schedule. Honestly, I, I, I haven't found one yet. Well, I that's mean, why I'm here. I'm here for the cold water, Craig. I get the big bucket, cold, I mean, they cold can't water. all have an advantage. I mean, no, of course I mean, not. It's the dumbest thing ever. But, but, I, but I think the thing is, is that it's, it's just really hard to identify who does and who doesn't because it's so quirky and and we're forced in this situation to have an opinion on it and I get that but the reality of this is is that we could all look very foolish in a week or two saying oh we should have considered that as the as part of the equation and I certainly understand that but uh, we could you know throw do some dart throwing here and, and find some teams potentially and uh, you know I you know some teams 
you know, to me, it, it, the elite, and maybe I'll be wrong on this, but the teams, to me, Joe, that have, uh, you know, the starters, the aces who are ready to go at the beginning of the season that can throw every four games or every five games would, would somehow have an advantage. We're trying to find the pitching. Uh, but yet, you know, in, in some cases I'm hearing that maybe, you know, pitching isn't as important because if they're going to go less and deep into the games, it may come down to the middle relief and the best hitting in the league. So I'm all over the map. <laughs> well, look, I think, like you said, the quirkiness is always going to show itself and there's going to be things that we never thought of because that's baseball, that's sports, but it's more baseball than anything. And baseball is going to baseball as it were. And and I would look at this and I would say, OK, early going, there's certain traits that certain teams have or the way the schedule might be laid out where I think it's going to be difficult for certain teams. And the first team that I think it could be a difficult 60 game season for is the Red Sox. And that's for a couple of reasons. The first is obviously they don't have that guy at the top of this rotation. Eduardo Rodriguez is a guy that I love. But now you're asking a lot of him to step up and be an ace of rotation. He hasn't done that yet. He has thrown 200 innings. That's a big positive. Does have a good strikeout rate. But no Chris Sale already was going to move the Red Sox back. Also, the Red Sox are a team that's kind of in a financial restructuring. When you look at the upcoming contracts they're going to have, the Bogarts, Endeavors, and guys like that, they just moved on from Moogie Betts. So this was a year of transition anyway. And considering it's a 60-game season, I don't see the Red Sox having any pressure to add anybody else or the financial will to do so. Plus, when you lose your best guy and your bullpen is a bit of a question mark, I think all those factors together, and then you add in the fact that they're going to probably play in that regional uh, Northeast corridor, which means that you're going to place a lot more National League East teams. Those National League East teams are really good. That is probably one of the, if not the most competitive division in baseball. And the quality of the other teams are going to play outside of the American League East. I think that's going to hurt the Red Sox. So for me, it's not a surprise, but I think the Red Sox are a team where the 60 game schedule is really prohibitive for them overall. I'm curious, do you kind of see it the same way? You know, I, I I agree and I disagree on this one. Of course you do. No, I, I agree <laughs> with the Red Sox, but, in I, you know, I disagree in a sense because I, I think that no matter what kind of season they would have had this year, they were up against it. So I'm not really Agreed. sure that, that it matters if it's 60 games or not. I just, I, I think that it, it's very hard for that organization mm -hmm. to send a message by saying that we're not going to be competing for a title. And when you, you're you in that role, what you do is you trade a lot of your players. And uh, look, Mookie Betts, of course, was moved. Uh, J.D. Martinez, even though he is an elite player in the game, one of the best hitters in the game, is not movable. Sale, as you mentioned, is mm -hmm. is out for the year. They really didn't replace that as far as the pitching is concerned. So I, I just don't think that Boston was going to compete anyway. So, yes, they are hurt by the 60-game schedule, but I think they're also hurt by the 162-game schedule. Correct. I just don't see them being a player in this. And and I do think that the NL East just makes them take it on the chin a little bit more. So, uh, yes, I agree, but I sort of feel like that was going to be the scenario with them anyway. Yeah. And well, come you get the pressure from the fan base too, Craig. Like, you know, to a certain extent where the, I think over 162, there might be some pressure. Man, this team stinks. You know, they should go out there and do something. And they might. They might try where if they have a good stretch, it goes, ah, yeah, well, you know, so-and-so is jettisoning. Like, I don't think there's any chance of that the 60-game season. Yeah, I think they can I, firmly I heard commit an interview with someone uh, who covers the Red Sox who said that they were going to be helped by the 60-game season. And I was thinking to myself, like, in every, what way? And every team can paint that as a positive and the, and the, the idea was basically because they don't have any starting pitching. And so this is going to help them. I, I think it is the opposite. I think you need that, more bullpen then I don't see them having yeah, that either. I, I, I don't think so. I think that if you have a bona fide ACE, I would rather have that guy, uh, you know, maybe two pitchers, but if you have a, a bona fide star pitcher in the big leagues going once every four or once every five games for only two months, I think I'd rather have that than a few middle relief arms. Like, I really, I, I think you need a shutdown guy that can go. And by the way, even into the postseason as well. So um, the Red Sox don't have that. All right. Well, the next one is the Phillies, who, going back to that same argument we were talking about uh, with the National League East, very hyper-competitive division. The Braves, the Mets, the Phillies, obviously. You know, the Marlins, we, we you know, we're... We'll see how much improved they are, because I think they are going to be better than they were last year. And then, of course, the defending champions in that division, the Washington Nationals. And I think for the Phillies, a war of attrition over 162 might have been better for them, because my concern is twofold. Number one, the back of this rotation with the Phillies. 
And number two, the bullpen. This is another bullpen that I think that early on you're going to see teams with the better bullpens kind of pull away a little bit potentially. Again, I say potentially because anything can happen. But I think when there's roles that are undefined or guys that you're not comfortable with as a closer or people that you've been trying to unseat as a closer and then they are the default closer, that never speaks well to a bullpen in terms of where everybody knows their role. And on top of it, it's whether or not then they are going to push for a Spencer Howard. It's one thing when you're looking up in July after a full season, say, well, we have a run at this and we have X number of games here. But do we want to go and put Spencer Howard into that rotation early? Do we want to start that clock? How do we want to maneuver? And I think the Phillies could be in a very delicate spot here because if they don't get off to a good start, they do have a looming free agent in JT Realmute. They do have a ton of big contracts on the books already with Bryce Harper and a few others. And obviously Aaron Nola eventually going to come up. So I think the Phillies are in a difficult spot here. I'm not saying they can't get hot. I'm not saying they can't compete and even be a surprise playoff team. What I'm saying is the bullpen I have questions about and the rest of this rotation too, because Zach Wheeler has been very inconsistent. If you get five good Wheeler starts and five bad Wheeler starts, that's not going to help you. <laughs> that's going to be a bad scenario for the Phillies. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see because you know Philadelphia is is still counting on Jake Arrieta for a bounce yes. back. We're going on a couple of years here, but uh, look, they still you know owe him quite a bit of money. Yeah. Um, you know, look, I, I think the Phillies are going to play very hard to win, and I don't think even if they fail a little bit in the first thirty games that they would punt. So I'm going to assume they're going to they're going to fight this thing right down to the end. They have so much money invested in the payroll right now that it's not a team that can take a step backward. So, uh, uh, you know, that's what they have going for them. They have Girardi going for them. That's going to be an improvement in terms of manager. Uh, so, look, I, I, they're, they're up against it. They're going to have to get off to a good start. They're one of those few teams in that division that's not going to be looked at as a favorite but has the talent to do it. So, um, yeah, with, o with only Nola at the top of the rotation and maybe Wheeler, it's, it's, it's hard to see that them pulling everything together so quickly over the course of a 60-game season. They really could have used the full 60, but I don't see them trading guys uh, after 30 games. Unless they're com in complete shambles, I think that even if they're a 500 team, Joe, you know, when, when you... Oh, invest, they'll stay in it, sure, especially with expanded playoffs. I don't playoffs. think they're punting. Yeah, but then you have you look at Aaron Nola last year and even others years where he got off to a slow start. Like some guys, it takes them a little while to get in that groove too, and you can ill afford that in this kind of a format, what's going on now in the 60 game season. So I think the Phillies are, are a team that were, it would hurt them again. I hope it doesn't. Cause I think it's the Phillies are a fun team, but I think it's realistic. The last one is the Texas Rangers. And this is another team too, where I look at the bullpen and I'm not a big fan of what you have there in long relief. And then possibly at the end of the road, uh, bullpen, obviously closing out games. And then on top of that, you have a, a team that is a very streaky potential offense. Willie Calhoun and Joey Gallo are very exciting players, big time power, right? Well, I think what we know about both these guys, if you look at the track record of them in the minor leagues and even the major league level for Joey Gallo, is they can be red hot or ice cold. And you can ill afford an ice cold streak here almost at any extended period of time. It will practically sink you. And this is a lineup that could really benefit from having a guy in the middle of it, like an Arenado, uh, like, you know, a Jose Abreu type guy, a guy that just lengthens this order with a veteran presence that really just gives them that number four hitter in the middle to kind of support Gallo and support Willie Calhoun. Because I do believe in those guys, but I think they're one bat away. It's great that they added Corey Kluber. But at the same time, Craig, I look at the back of the rotation, back of the bullpen, the streaky offense, and the second part of that offense, guys like Odor, who can be incredibly you know, bad for two months at a clip. Well, you can't have that and succeed. So what are your thoughts on the Texas Rangers under the 60-game uh, schedule? Yeah, it, it's not the 60 games that hurt them. The pandemic hurt them because uh, you're That's moving fair. into a new stadium and, and you, and you no have – you have to show for the fans like it's it's part of the gig when you get a new stadium. You just you know, you have to show up there. And Kluber was part of that. Uh, that's now eliminated. The Rangers will be very strong in 2021. I think that when they come back next year, uh, they you know, they missed out on a couple of guys this year. Castellanos, maybe even Ozuna to a degree. Uh, you know, they, they really Donaldson. didn't do it. Yeah, they didn't do enough. But uh, now they're in a situation where it doesn't really matter as much. So yeah. I, I think that it isn't as much 60 games as much as it is just the nature as to what happened. I would not expect the Rangers to compete at all. And I think that you would have to be fine with that at this point. They'll have a beautiful stadium with nobody in it. This is unprecedented times. And I sort of give them a mulligan for all of it. But I would not next spring. I would expect Texas to make a huge jump 
as far as adding players, very similar to what Philadelphia did, as we mentioned a couple of years ago. The Rangers will not be good this year. I, it's just it's just the nature of what happened with them. All right, uh, we'll take a quick time out on Fantasy Sports Today. When we come back next, win totals are up at the FanDuel Sportsbook. We make our first dive into that here on this Monday on Fantasy Sports Today. Joe and I will be back in just two minutes, so don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. It would be very wise at this point to continue to pay attention in this spring training 2.0 or summer 2.0 Uh, as to the players who are opting in and opting out of this very shortened season. Before you make any of your bets over at FanDuel, their season win totals are up for 2020. And as we get closer to the season, Joe and I will start diving back into those season win totals. And we'll start today with two teams in the National League and sort of, you know, run through the positives, the negatives, what the potentials would be for overs and unders. And you know, Joe, the one thing that I would add is regardless of what the odds are, it, it is a really dicey uh, scenario for all of this. And very similar to our fantasy scenario where uh, a lot of guessing here, uh, you're, you're just kind of hoping for the best. You could certainly play both sides of this. But the one element that we don't know is two weeks into a season, which is going to happen. There are going to be players that are going to dive out of this thing and, and that are not going to be in it. So you're, you're certainly taking a shot. And, uh, you know, you could paint any picture you want. I mean, I've, I've heard some people say, hey, you know, bet against uh, the Florida teams because Florida's being hit so hard with the virus. And, you know, they'll, they're, li- they're more likely to have players opt out uh, or get knocked out, uh, potentially. Um, you, know, it's, you know, for me, it's a lot of guessing at this point. But what we'll try to do is just simply look at the facts of what the teams are, the players are, who they acquired and whether or not we would have went over or under on them for a 162-game season. That's pretty much the only way you could go about this at this point. Well, it is. And I think what you lose, you look at what the teams did last year, you look at the depth of the organizations. I think depth is where it's really going to come into play, more so than ever, the way the new rosters are structured. But also, you know, not even two weeks from now, Craig. How about six weeks from now, where another hotspot pops up in another location that nobody was thinking about? And that's the thing. It's, it's, it's anybody's guess, therefore nobody knows. So... Whenever you're leading things to just guesswork, you're better off just trying to have the most informed opinion you can and look for opportunities where you see a team that you really think has potential one way or the other to be really good or really bad. And somebody like, you know, FanDuel, who is maybe giving you an opportunity to wager on that and be successful. And some of these team totals are very intriguing because... Uh, like this first one here, this is a team that was really good last year, well over 500. And now in this 60-game season, they're barely over 500. And I think that's a an interesting point of view to take on this team. And I can't say that I necessarily disagree with it either. All right, so let's take a look at the Braves. Uh, their win total, uh, 33.5 for the 60-game season. Uh, the over-under, minus 126. So, again, pretty heavily slanted toward the Braves being a 34-win team or better. So that would be 34 and 30 on the season. Uh, Under 33.5 wins at plus 104. Remember, they won 97 games last year. So there is some pullback here, clearly. Uh, Joe, the NL East is having to go against the AL East. So Mm -hmm. there are Yankee, a lot more Yankee games involved, a lot more uh, Boston games involved. And even though the Red Sox may not be great, they're still expected to be around 500 this year. Uh, Toronto probably a little bit better, and then Baltimore not so good. So, I mean, they at least kind of cancels itself out to a degree, I would yeah, think. Yeah, I think. Uh, I would think, but, um, yeah, I mean, look, you know, the odds are not in your favor taking the over, but it's not in, it's not a significant number either. You're laying $125, $126 to win 100 Yeah, I kind of struggle here because I thought there was going to be a regression coming from Atlanta this year regardless because I thought it was asking a lot to go out there and make Mike Soroka that number one guy in the rotation. I said last year that they should have acquired Bumgarner at the break, and they did not, and they needed a veteran presence in that rotation. And the best they can come up with was Cole Hamels, who then immediately got hurt. And Hamels, I don't think of in the same way. He's got more age than Bumgarner. I thought it was just not what they were needing. So what you do is you need guys like Max Freed to kind of step into the void here. You need some other names like that to step up and become co-frontline starters. And that's possible. But at the same time, when you do say that they are going to be pitching in Yankee Stadium and Boston and some other places like that and Baltimore, those are not always the most pitcher-friendly environments. 
So there's a lot of questions here, more questions than answers with the Braves. There's 33 and a half. I can understand why people would see this and just go, oh, my God, it's an easy over. They won 97 games last year. They're a juggernaut team. But I feel like they might come a little closer to the pack because I do feel like the Mets, even without Syndergaard, I think they have a much better bullpen than people realize. And if you are a person that does believe in the Phillies and that the Phillies could get hot and have a run, well, then that's going to pull back this Braves win total, too. So I got to tell you the truth. I think I'm staying away from this one personally because I feel like this is about where I think they are. I think they're probably three to four wins over 500 under the current circumstances of what's happening. If they had it added a true frontline starter, a, a guy who was a, a, a war machine, so to speak, a guy who was going to really make a significant difference where you could say, okay, he's only making 10 starts, but you know you're going to probably be in line to win seven of them. That's a big difference maker. They didn't do that. So for that reason, I think I'm out on Atlanta. Where are you with this Braves rotation and basically with this team going into 2020? Can they live up to what they did last year? Yeah, I mean, I, I've talked about how um, the totals for me this year is, is probably not something financially that I'm going to get involved in at all just because the variance is so um, is so high. Uh, 75% of the teams on FanDuel are all within a few games of each other. So it just mm -hmm. tells you that they're they're telling you that what you're paying for aren't, isn't the win totals in 2020. You're paying the juice. So the juice is going to say it all as far as uh, 2020 with the win totals. That's what you're looking at. That's basically what FanDuel feels. Um, and in this case, uh, they they're they're basically telling you that there's a pretty good shot that they go over 33 and a half wins. Um, that's probably the way that I would lean here. I, I do like Atlanta. I think they'll be a good team, uh, but you know, are they going to go 40 and 20? That would seem unlikely. Could they go 35 and 30? Yeah, I mean that seems relatively easy to do, and it wouldn't take a lot for them to go one way or the other on that. So I would lean over, but it's it's not something I feel particularly strong about. Now, in terms of Arizona, I, I do feel more strongly uh, on the opposite side of where FanDuel is here. Uh, their total is 31 and a half, and mm -hmm. you're getting plus money on the wins, which is something that I do like. Um, and they're under 31 and a half wins is minus 128. I mean, look, they won 85 games last year. They were they they got better this year, as far as I'm concerned. Their managers, yeah. you see there, we have the quote that they want to go to a five-man rotation, which really doesn't make a difference one way or the other. I just thought it was interesting to, to make sure that we make note of that. Uh, I really like their starting pitching a lot. I'm very bullish on Zach Gallen. Mm -hmm. um, he was somebody that I bet over eight and a half wins at the start of the season and put a significant amount of money on that, got a refund on it. And interestingly enough, as we're doing the show, I got a text from somebody asking me how I feel about 10 to 1 for them to win the National League West, I don't like that because no, I, I, <laughs> I, do, I do think the Dodgers are going to win the West, but I but I would take them on long odds to win the pennant because in a short series, I have Gallon and Bumgarner and uh, and Robbie Ray. I, I, I like Arizona. I like their makeup. I like the team that, that it is put together. Uh, Bumgarner is a big game pitcher, and now he doesn't have to make 30 starts this season. So uh, Dodgers are going to roll through the regular season and win a lot, but what have they proven in the postseason? What, that they can get to the World Series? Congratulations. They haven't proven they can win that yet. So <laughs> I, I would take a stab at Arizona went to win the NL or even to win the World Series, but not the not the West. I, I, I do think the Dodgers yeah. have it pretty easy, as a matter of fact. So I would lean over 31 and a half wins. I think the Diamondbacks are an above 500 team in this short season. I definitely feel that way. And I do like them to win the pennant, too. I, I, I am on the Diamondbacks this year. Very well-run organization and built to win right now, and maybe even potentially adding a piece or two at the trade deadline. Pretty solid bullpen as well. I mean, I don't find a lot of holes here with this team, Joe. I don't. I don't no, see I'm with you. I mean, this is a team to me, especially when you factor in David Peralta's inability to stay healthy over a full season. Now you're only trying to get 60 games out of him. Uh, can he get in there for 50-something games? I think it's possible. <laughs> you know, you never know when things happen. The addition of Cole Calhoun to that lineup, too, lengthening the lineup, a guy with some power there. Um, Cattell Marte had a breakthrough season last year. He is for real. You added Starling Marte. You know, it feels like so long ago we were talking about these things that we yeah, have to no, we're back. reprogram we're back our to again. But where, where's the? I mean, we have to we have to try and find something 
that's negative because you you got to do that before you. Put well, it my up. negative would be the bullpen still. Like I'm not as confident in Archie Bradley's abilities as some other people. Um, I'm not like again. I'm if you're asking me to search for a negative, I would. That's the one I would go to right away. I would also say potentially there's guys like Escobar who played over their head last year. When you dig into the second half numbers, when you dig into the deeper stats, the power was still there. But the problem is the contact went way down. So basically he was incredibly efficient in terms of the balls that he hit either went out of the ballpark or <laughs> he didn't hit them at all. And that's a problem. Like that's one of those things yeah, where no, a guy but, like that. He and, he and Marte are both, let's say, hypothetically 20% worse than they were last year. I could absolutely see that. But that 20% is made up with Calhoun and Marte, with the other Marte. So, <laughs> if we could only get a third Marte. That's what I'd like to see. So, Can we get a and third Marte? And their pitching is better. I mean, it can't. it's not well, going to be worse. They added Allen and Bumgarner. At the and depth. I'm with you. I like this rotation. Yeah. And I like the fact it's that Luke Weaver and Zach Gallen don't have to make 28, 30 starts in order for the Diamondbacks to have a successful 2020. That's huge for these two guys. You know, you're worried about the health of Weaver. You're worried about the durability yeah. of a guy like Gallen. And now all of a sudden you've taken these two guys and all you're saying is 10 starts, realistically, like somewhere in that ballpark. That's what you got to get out of these guys. And Bumgarner is now a guy that bumps everybody down the rotation a slot. They, there's no pressure on the young guy. You know, I can't stress this enough. When you have talented young pitchers, having a guy at the top of the rotation it's the Justin Verlander effect. Look at the Justin Verlander effect on Max Scherzer in Detroit. Look at the Justin Verlander effect of Garrett Cole when he went to Houston, right? Having a guy where you don't have to be the man, it takes a lot of pressure off a young, talented pitcher where they can go out there, just worry about their starts, and also learn from the guy and watch the guy ahead of them. It is, it is such an incredible gift to these young pitchers. And I'm looking at this Arizona Diamondbacks team, and I think they're over 500. I actually like this number, 31 and a half. I mean, you're telling me they can't be 32 and 28. I think that's really reasonable for this team, especially when you consider the rest of this uh, division where the Padres, God bless them, we're all really excited. I am about the Padres, but we don't know what they are. And the second part of that lineup is questionable. And then the Rockies, we all know that they're a cluster. So, I mean, why not? Why not the Arizona Diamondbacks? They were above expectations last year. I don't expect any drop-off from Marte. Uh, from Kedel Marte, because again, second half numbers got <laughs> arguably better at some points, but it's Escobar, maybe Calhoun a little bit, some streakiness in there, maybe the bullpen, but I don't know, man. I think they can do enough here to be over this number. I'm with you. I like this team. Yeah, it's, it's a really well-run uh, organization and they they feel like they're, they're fit to uh, win now. And this is just two years coming off looking like they needed to punt when they traded Goldschmidt. It's really remarkable. And cranky. They, and Granky, and they Grank got rid of too, Goldschmidt and Granky. Yeah, no. So it's, in successive it's years, your best hitter and your best pitcher, and now all of a sudden you are more of a contender than you were two years ago, and that is yeah. quite shocking. I mean, they they were really helped a lot by this because they basically, you know, getting ready for the players who they acquired and Seth Beer and Corbin Martin. I mean, those guys weren't going to be a factor anyway this year. They will be in 2021. Yeah, I like Carson Kelly is a nice young catcher too. I like, I like they, Carson Kelly. Yeah, I, no, I think they I, have a, a lot team. of. They have a it's, lot it's, of it's young a good talent. team. Yeah, yeah the, I guess I may, maybe looking at it, maybe part of what's holding the total back here is they play Oakland a lot, and the Angels are going to be better. Um, you yeah, know, but may, you know what? The Angels pitching is it. still a big question for me, Craig. Like, I, I know everybody wants to write the a Angels narrative this year and like, oh, yay, Mike Trout and everything. You know what? I don't know if I'm there yet, to be honest with you. Maybe. Like, I, the Diamondbacks are exactly the kind of team I think we're looking for of who's that surprise that makes a run in the playoffs. It could be this team. Oh, I, I agree. I, li I, li I like their odds better to win the pennant than the regular season. All right, uh, we got to take a timeout. Paul Spohr is going to join us coming up next here on the show as we dive into some of his thoughts from the analytical mind of Paul Spohr coming up next right here on Fantasy Sports Today. Please don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.